Hello, everyone. It's August 24th, and you have reached the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, where we hope to encourage you in the worthwhile task of reading through the Bible in a year by providing not only a reading, but a brief commentary on each day's passage to help you see how the books of the Bible relate to the overarching theme of God's loving initiative to provide a means of redemption to the fallen human race. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher serving New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts. We are reading from the book of Job today. This book shows that the Bible does not shy away from the big problem of human suffering, but addresses it throughout. In the Bible's climax, in God's wisdom and goodness, He sends His Son to fully embrace human suffering. The Lord Jesus Christ is God's appointed suffering servant, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, who willingly bears the suffering of our Genesis 3 curse upon his own body. In the book of Job, we discover that Job himself is appointed to be a suffering servant of God. Unlike Job, however, Jesus Christ bears our suffering on the cross as our substitute. He was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, satisfying God's justice on our behalf so that we can be saved from the wrath of God against our sin. This Jesus will be in a similar position to Job, despised, rejected, scorned, oppressed, and afflicted. And this Jesus will answer any charge of the devil. What Jesus accomplishes in his death, burial, and resurrection turns the tables on the forces of evil, so that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. As we read today, we will one day say to suffering, You are a goner. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In dealing with the problem of sin and the problem of our law-breaking sin nature, He gives a death blow to the problem of suffering, rendering powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and freeing us who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all of our lives. So let's go to the book of Job. We are in the middle part of the book known as the Dialogue. Job's three comforters, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, have offered their perspectives on Job's plight and contested Job's pleas of innocence. Round one is completed. Before round two begins, Job replies to his friends. In Job chapter 12, Job replies, The Lord has done this. Job chapter 12, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. But I have understanding as well as you. I am not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I, who called to God and He answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. In the thought of one who is at ease, there is contempt for misfortune. It is ready for those whose feet slip. The tents of robbers are at peace, and those who provoke God are secure, who bring their God in their hand. But ask the beasts, and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens, and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth, and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes food? Wisdom is with the aged and understanding in length of days. With God are wisdom and might. 
he has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped, and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light, and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. Job continues, Still I will hope in God. Chapter 13 Behold, my eye has seen all this, my ear has heard and understood it. What you know, I also know, I am not inferior to you, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. As for you, you whitewash with lies, worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would keep silent, and it would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument, and listen to the pleading of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God, and speak deceitfully for Him? Will you show partiality toward Him? Will you plead the case for God? Will it be well with you when He searches you out? Or can you deceive Him as one deceives a man? He will surely rebuke you, if in secret you show partiality. Will not His Majesty terrify you and the dread of Him fall upon you? Your maxims are proverbs of ashes, your defenses are defenses of clay. Let me have silence and I will speak, and let come on me what may. Why should I take my flesh in my teeth and put my life in my hand? Though He slay me, I will hope in Him, yet I will argue my ways to His face. This will be my salvation, that the godless shall not come before Him. Keep listening to my words, and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I would be silent and die. Only grant me two things, then I will not hide myself from your face. Withdraw your hand far from me, and let not dread of you terrify me. Then call, and I will answer, or let me speak, and you reply to me. How many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgression and my sin. Why do you hide your face and count me as your enemy? Will you frighten a driven leaf and pursue dry chaff? For you write bitter things against me, and make me inherit the iniquities of my youth. You put my feet in the stocks and watch all my paths. You set a limit for the soles of my feet. Man wastes away like a rotten thing, like a garment that is moth-eaten. Job continues, Death comes soon to all. Chapter 14 Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. O oh, do you open your eyes on such a one and bring me into judgment with you? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? There is not one. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass, 
Look away from him and leave him alone, that he may enjoy, like a hired hand, his day. For there is hope for a tree, if it be cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its shoots will not cease. Though its root grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of water it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake, and a river wastes away and dries up, so a man lies down and rises not again. Till the heavens are no more, he will not awake, or be roused out of his sleep. Oh, that you would hide me in Sheol, that you would conceal me until your wrath be past, that you would appoint me a set time and remember me. If a man dies, shall he live again? All the days of my service I would wait till my renewal should come. You would call, and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands, for then you would number my steps, you would not keep watch over my sin. My transgression would be sealed up in a bag, and you would cover over my iniquity. But the mountain falls and crumbles away, and the rock is removed from its place. The waters wear away the stones, the torrents wash away the soil of the earth, so you destroy the hope of man. You prevail forever against him, and he passes. You change his countenance and send him away. His sons come to honor, and he does not know it. They are brought low, and he perceives it not. He feels only the pain of his own body, and he mourns only for himself. Eliphaz accuses. Job does not fear God. Chapter 15 Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, Should a wise man answer with windy knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Should he argue in unprofitable talk or in words with which he can do no good? But you are doing away with the fear of God and hindering meditation before God. For your iniquity teaches your mouth, and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you, and not I. Your own lips testify against you. Are you the first man who was born, or were you brought forth before the hills? Have you listened in the counsel of God, and do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not clear to us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, older than your father, Are the comforts of God too small for you, or the word that deals gently with you? Why does your heart carry you away, and why do your eyes flash that you turn your spirit against God and bring such words out of your mouth? What is man that he can be pure, or he who is born of a woman that he can be righteous? Behold, God puts no trust in his holy ones, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less one who is abominable and corrupt a man who drinks injustice like water. I will show you, hear me, and what I have seen I will declare, what wise men have told without hiding it from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given, and no stranger passed among them. The wicked man writhes in pain all his days, through all the years that are laid up for the ruthless. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity the destroyer will come upon him. He does not believe that he will return out of darkness, and he is marked for the sword. He wanders abroad for bread, saying, Where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at hand. Distress and anguish terrify him. They prevail against him like a king ready for battle. Because he has stretched out his hand against God and defies the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with a thickly bossed shield, 
because he has covered his face with his fat and gathered fat upon his waist and has lived in desolate cities in houses that none should inhabit which were ready to become heaps of ruins. He will not be rich and his wealth will not endure nor will his possessions spread over the earth. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry up his shoots and by the breath of his mouth he will depart. Let him not trust in emptiness deceiving himself for emptiness will be his payment. It will be paid in full before his time, and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripe grape like the vine, and cast off his blossom like the olive tree. For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil, and their womb prepares deceit. And this is the end of today's portion from the Old Testament, from the book of Job. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Job's three friends, Eliphaz, in Job chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 5, verse 27, Bildad, in Job chapter 8, verses 1 through 22, and Zophar, in Job chapter 11, verses 1 through 20, have had their say. Job completes the first round of debate by continuing to defend his own integrity and God's integrity as far as he can understand what that means. The conversation has hit upon some of life's truisms, yet when it comes to explaining the problem of evil and suffering, their combined philosophies prove the limits of human understanding. Job's philosophy is more profound and true to God's word than those of his friends, but their discussion reveals that the world by human wisdom did not know God. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It is not until the special revelation of God's purpose and character in the person of Christ given in the New Testament that the questions raised in the book of Job can be more fully answered. We can know something of God's wisdom and power as the creator and sustainer of the universe, through the general revelation of the witness of creation in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. The moral dictates of the human conscience function as an indicator of the moral nature of God and mankind's accountability to heed them in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. God gives ample evidence of His supreme intelligence and sovereign power in the created universe so that mankind is without excuse. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Or speak to the earth and let it teach you, and let the fish of the sea declare to you. Who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this, in whose hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind? Job chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Job affirms divine sovereignty as the creator and sustainer of all life, including the life of mankind. He responds to Zophar's three accusations, starting with the accusation that Job had no knowledge of God in Job chapter 11, verses 5-12. through 12. Job is vehement in his defense of his understanding of the philosophy of God. He says to Zophar, But I have intelligence as well as you. I am not inferior to you. And who does not know such things as these? Job chapter 12, verse 3. He defends the God-given capacity of human discernment and the benefit of knowledge gained by experience. He says, 
Does not the ear test words as the palate tastes its food? Wisdom is with aged men, with long life is understanding. Job chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. In verses 13 through 22, Job declares God's sovereign rule over all things. He has the power to build up and bring low both individuals and nations. He enables human beings to understand his creation by bringing hidden things to light. He reveals mysteries from the darkness and brings the deep darkness into light. Job chapter 12, verse 22. The missing element in Job's defense is an understanding of God's character. The truths pertaining to God's character remain somewhat hidden in the Old Testament until they are made more clearly known when the Word is made flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, He who has seen me has seen the Father. Job chapter 14, verse 9. In chapter 13, Job continues to defend his integrity. He answers Zophar's first accusation that he is guilty and being punished for his sins. In Job chapter 11, verses 1-4, through he shows sarcastic contempt for the counsel of his friends. He declares that he is equal to his friends in his ability to gain knowledge by natural means. He says, What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. Job chapter 13, verse 2. He is convinced that they are making unjust conclusions about his personal state and misrepresenting God in his dealings with him. But you smear with lies. You are all worthless physicians. Job chapter 13, verse 4. Your memorable sayings are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. In verse 12, Job tenaciously holds on to a higher view of God's character, believing that no matter what the situation, he is trustworthy and Job is determined to trust him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Job is confident that his right standing with God and his trust in him will be vindicated. In verses 16 through 19. Job chapter 13, verses 20 through 28 is directed towards God more than to Job's friends. He says, Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Will you cause a driven leaf to tremble, or will you pursue the dry chaff? Job chapter 13, verses 24 and 25. In chapter 14, Job answers Zophar's third accusation, asserting that there is still hope if Job will only heed Zophar's religious prescription to get right with God. Job admits that his hope is waning and almost gone, but somehow God will prove himself true to his promises. He recognizes the reality of death and the limits of our natural capacities and our days on the earth. He admits that there is much uncertainty about the future and what happens after death. He observes from the natural world that there are hints of resurrection. He sees how the life of a tree resurfaces when it is cut down to a stump. But where is there evidence of our future life after death? His hope is eroding away as waters erode rocks and shore. This chapter longs for the revelation of the resurrection and the life that is made known in Jesus Christ in John chapter 11, verse 25. In the New Testament, Paul will affirm in the resurrection chapter, which we will continue to read today in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 2 Timothy, that Jesus answers the question Job asks in Job chapter 14, verse 14. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Notice how Jesus answers this when he speaks in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. 
and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8-10, through 10, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In chapter 15, the second round of debate begins. Eliphaz continues his attack on Job. He accuses Job of being full of prideful hot air and self-righteousness. Eliphaz resorts to his advanced age in his attempts of one-upmanship. He proceeds along the lines of his first argument that God rewards the righteous and punishes the guilty. In his first oration, he states this in general terms. In round two, he emphasizes the fact that God punishes the evil. It is true that God is just, but this is not the whole truth. Missing in Eliphaz's reasoning is the revelation of God's character in Jesus Christ and his provision of full redemption through the work he accomplished on the cross. Eliphaz was misapplying this truth in relationship to Job. Eliphaz sees Job as being afflicted because of his sin. He says in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 15, For the company of the godless is barren, and fire consumes the tents of the corrupt. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity, and their mind prepares deception. The true believer can say with King David, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. May we be wary of the wisdom of men, even regarding spiritual things. May we learn to cast the full weight of our trust upon the good news of the finished work of redemption accomplished by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now let's move on in our Bible tour to today's reading from the New Testament. We are in the Great Resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we'll be reading verses 29 through 58. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, but my pride is in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with the beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, and there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. 
What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage today from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. We just read in the book of Job the classic question regarding life after death. If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle, I will wait until my change comes. Job chapter 14, verse 14. Job's patience is found in his ability to wait until the Lord perfects what concerns us, the redemption of our bodies in the resurrection. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul expresses the believer's resurrection hope this way. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. The resurrection assures us that Jesus' payment for sin satisfies the justice of God by fully paying our sin debt. Paul has answered the question whether the dead will be raised in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 19 with the proof of Jesus' promised physical resurrection. He then goes on to explain when the dead will be raised in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 20 through 28 with the illustration of the sequential order of the first fruits and the following harvest and kingdom reign. He will then answer the question of why the dead are raised and how it motivates us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 19 to 20, verses 29 to 34, and verses 49 to 50. The resurrection shows us that this present life is not all that there is. We have the hope of an eternal life reigning with Christ in God's kingdom in the future. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead 
the first fruits of those who are asleep. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 and 20. The resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee of our future resurrection and our life together with Him. Paul knew that for him to live was Christ and to die was gain. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, he could gladly spend his life pouring himself out to others for the sake of the gospel, even if it meant facing the possibility of death daily. The resurrection makes clear that there is a day of reckoning coming after the resurrection, so we need to steer clear of deceptive worldviews. Paul cites the deceitful philosophy of the materialists and the Epicureans who lived only for the pleasures of this life. He could face hardships, persecutions, and the relentless attempts of the enemy to sabotage the work of the gospel, that is, the wild beasts or false teachers of Ephesus, knowing that the resurrection is in his future. If from human motives I have fought with a wild beast at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 32 and 33. Paul says that the resurrection of Christ motivates us to do the work of evangelism so that the membership of the local church will be replenished and increased with new in-Christ ones when other members die and go to be with Christ. This is the probable meaning of verse 29. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why then are they baptized for them? That is, baptized to take the place of them in 1 Corinthians 15.29. What is the purpose of church life if the dead are not to be raised? Why win people to Christ? Paul answers the question how the resurrection takes place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35-48. to 48. But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? He is not implying that we come back from the dead in another life form. There is a continuity between our present body and future body, but it is a different body. Paul uses three analogies to make this clear. Number one, seeds. In verses 35 through 38, verses 45 to 48, what is sown is not the same form as what emerges from the ground, yet there is continuity. You plant the seed of an apple, and you will get an apple tree. What comes up in harvest is more beautiful than what was sown. Number two, flesh. In verse 39, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We will need a new body that is suited to the environment of the new heavens and the new earth. Just as the flesh of animals is different from mankind, so there will be a new kind of flesh for mankind in the resurrection. Number 3. Heavenly Bodies Verses 40 and 41 Just as the bodies of stars differ from moons, so the new glorified resurrection body will differ from our current earthly body, although there will be a recognizable continuity between the two. These will be bodies suited for our eternal future, whether an eternity with Christ in His kingdom or for an eternity separated from the manifestation of God's presence in hell. The reality of the grace of God shown to us in the resurrection should encourage believers to live for the glory of God by the power of Christ's resurrection life. Christ's triumph over death in the resurrection is God's pledge to us that we too will be raised to eternal life at the return of Christ. Our perishable bodies will be changed into imperishable bodies. Jesus has given us the assurance of His victory over sin and death. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Now let's move on to today's reading from the book of Psalms, 
where the psalmist asks the question, What is the measure of my days? Psalm 39, read by Peter Healy. Psalm 39, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. So long as the wicked are in my presence, I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute, and I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me, that I may smile again, before I depart and am no more. Thank you, Peter. David, the psalmist, knows what it is to be dealt with by God. He came under conviction for his sins, and God drew him to repentance. Rather than reacting toward his oppressors who taunted him, David chose to hold his tongue and meditate upon God's word. My heart was hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. In verse 3, Only after careful and patient meditation upon God's word did David dare to speak. He realizes the futility of a life apart from God. All is vanity. In Psalm 39, verse 5, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Having been convicted of his sins, David prays for forgiveness. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth, because it is you who have done it. Psalm 39, verses 8 and 9. Finally, David prays for direction. He prays that God would turn away any disapproval and give him the strength to be restored to fellowship and strengthened to fulfill his intended function as a servant of God. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like my father's. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Verses 12 and 13. Now let's move to our final stop on our tour today to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, verses 30 and 31. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. 
Verse 30 teaches that no human scheming, no degree of human ingenuity or wisdom will ever prevail against the revealed will of the Lord. That which is done in defiance of God is doomed to failure. In contrast to this, verse 31 acknowledges that true success is sourced in God's wisdom. Let's pray together. We give you thanks, O God, for the gracious gift of Christ's victory over sin and death. Your Son has brought life and immortality to light and answers the questions about the future. We have a certain hope through Jesus Christ, your Son. His resurrection assures us that your word is true and that Jesus is to be followed and obeyed as Lord of all. Give us the grace to take up our cross daily, denying self and walking in submission to your will in the power of his resurrection life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this concludes a rather full intake of God's word today as we read through the one-year Bible. Our goal is to encourage you to press on in reading the Bible. And God willing, we will be with you tomorrow to continue the book of Job and 1 Corinthians. If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like a written copy of our commentary or to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries and missions, you can go to our webpage, newlife.org, newlife.org. So until next time, may the peace of the Lord be with you. Shalom. Shalom.